0: Good to have you here today. And, uh, you know, when I was uh, uh, going over to the lesson today, I came across a story that I thought would be interesting, you know, something for us to try. There's a a gal by the name of Sally, and she was a student at a Christian college. And she took a class from Professor Smith. And in this class, uh, well, Smith was known for his elaborate object lessons. And so one day, uh, she walked into class, and there was a large target on the wall. And uh, plastered, uh, and, and sitting near the, t- the, the target on a table were some darts and some pieces of paper. And he instructed the students to draw the picture of somebody that they disliked. And then they could put it on the target and throw darts at it. And so uh, they all got going at that and, and did it. Now I thought, you know, that'd be something interesting for us to do today. And I, and I was thinking, it might even be kind of therapeutic. Be able to throw a dart at somebody that we don't like. And I thought, who is the stereotypical bad guy that all of us don't like? Well, radical Islam. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking a little more practical. Uh, somebody that, that, that we run into every day that Satan works through. But, you know, we think radical Islam. We can all get behind that and think, oh, yeah, those radical Islamists. So I thought, it could be therapeutic. Why not? Let's try this out. So, you know, I, I went and I, I got some darts and I got us a picture. Of radical Islam, and I thought, you know, we can just, we can just, you know, put it right there, and we can just, you know, step back and we can start, start throwing the darts. Here we go, ready? This could be embarrassing. I told you. Ah, there we go. Got to get closer. Ah, no, really embarrassing. I knew I should have bought those better ones. Ah, you know what you do when that doesn't work? You just walk up there like you used to as a kid and. Shove them in there and tell everybody how good you did. (laughs) Okay, you know, you you shove it in there, you push it in, you knock it in, you just, you just, just really, just, uh, you know, get, get into it. You know, it's therapeutic, right? Didn't they say that? Supposed to let out the steam. Just, uh, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm sorry. (sighs) Do you know what's strange about that? I'm not sure that's as therapeutic as I thought it was. Because I'm not sure that Jesus would have done something like that. Would he? Wasn't it Jesus who said that we're supposed to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Oh, yeah. Isn't Jesus the one who said if they want to take your coat, give them your shirt also? Huh. I'm not sure Jesus would have done that. You know, and wasn't it Jesus who said that, yeah, I'm not sure Jesus would have had anything to do with this. And you know, Sally learned why Jesus wouldn't have done this. When Professor Smith sat everybody down, and he walked over to the target and he took the target down and having taken it down he turned it over and underneath the picture was Jesus now we don't know what Jesus looked Could you go ahead and hit the slide once, please? Thank you. We don't know what Jesus looked like. He could have been, you know, doubt he was fair-haired and European-looking. Probably looked more like a Middle Easterner that we see today. But the fact is, he could look like anybody. Red and yellow, black and white. He could have been anybody. Matter of fact, wasn't it Jesus who said in Matthew, the 25th chapter, that when you have done it to the Least of these you have done it to me. You know, do you think that that could even have included some Islamists? It could have. And I think we need to keep that in mind as we enter into this study about what it means to put love first We go through this life. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you so much for your son. Father, we are are frightened sometimes by our fleshly nature. We're frightened sometimes, Lord, how easy it is to fear and how easy it is for that fear to turn into hate. Father, we pray that you will enter our lives through your spirit. Fill us with your love. Help us to let your love be our guiding principle as we go throughout our lives. Help us, Father, to truly be that reflection of your glory, to be that picture of your Son, that when they see us, they see you, through your Son living in us, and especially through the love that we show, not just to one another, but the love that we show to all people. Pray this in Jesus' name. This is our first Sunday in this series on Love First. And over the next few months, we're going to be doing this pretty intensively. I want to remind you, Wednesday nights at 6.30, we have the DVD of the book, Love First. The author of that book, Don McLaughlin, minister of the North Atlanta Church of Christ, will be giving those lessons. We'll be doing about 15 minutes of video, about 30 minutes of discussion each night. Here on Sundays, I will parallel uh, his book by bringing my own perspectives on the subjects that he's covering in the book. And one of the things that I have noted as I have read this book and as I've been preparing my lessons is that our culture needs this lesson on love first. Wouldn't you say amen? Then the more I studied, the more I came to another conclusion. We need... This lesson on putting love first. Do I hear an amen? And then the more I studied this lesson, the more I realized I need to hear these lessons on putting love first. You know, I think part of it is because we care very deeply about the things that we value in this life. So, ju- so deeply sometimes that we justify questionable means to gain righteous ends. So deeply that we find ourselves using language, and I'm not talking about cursing here. Using language that demeans the other and makes us look good. We believe so deeply and value so deeply that we are willing to accept anything that fits into our narrative without checking to see if it's even true or not. So deeply that we find ourselves withdrawing within our enclaves in fear of everything else that's out there. That is not what God called us to. Matter of fact, there's a reason that governments use propaganda during war. And there's a reason that that propaganda has a tendency to dehumanize the enemy. It's easier to justify death, destruction, and dislocation brought on by war if the enemy is demonized. And that's what we tend to do. Back during World War II, the Japanese were the Japs, right? The Germans were the Krauts. And those are the tame names that I can use from the pulpit. Even those we aren't at war with, but we're just in competition with, get names. Mexicans aren't called Mexicans, they're wetbacks. The Chinese are chinks or slant eyes. We did it to the Jews. We did it to the Irish. We did it to the African Americans. We did it to the American Indian. This is a disease. A disease that eats all the way down into our soul and threatens to destroy our relationship with God. James tells us in chapter 4 that like a wildfire, our tongues can destroy us and those around us too, because the tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. What did John write in our reading today? The reading we just heard? Didn't he say in that reading that perfect Love does what? Drives out fear. But where fear is allowed to fester and grow, their hate grows with it. Even warping our own understanding of God in the process. Author Anne Lamont once wrote, would you go to the next slide, please? Next one. Thank you. Next one after that. I got behind and I didn't. we didn't get this thing plugged in today. Thank you. She says, she writes, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. You've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people. You see, when the world looks for Jesus, they look at us first. And they test to see if what is advertised is true. Are we truly living what we say that we live? Are we being Christ in this world? Are we living in the principles that he laid down for us? Or are we worshiping an, a God that we have created ourselves? We've got to make sure that what we represent is truly God. There's a funny story I came across by a man named Dennis, who lived in Kathy, Texas. He was uh, procrastinating, and I can identify. Anybody else identify with procrastination? Okay, Uh, he had been procrastinating, he had a trip coming up, and he had some dry cleaning he needed to get done. He needed to get done in a hurry. And so he remembered that clear on the other side of town was a cleaning shop that advertised one hour dry cleaning. So he drove all the way across town, to drop off this suit to get cleaned. And after filling out the tag, he told the clerk, I need this in an hour. And she said, well, I can't get it back to you till Thursday. And he goes, I thought this was a dry cleaning in one hour place. I thought that's what you specialized in. She goes, no, that's just the name of the business. Folks, those of us who carry the name of Christian, That's an advertisement. And we need to be living up to that. We're not perfect. God doesn't expect that, but He expects us to be trying. When we fail to act like the one whose name we bear, we create confusion, we create disillusionment, we create chaos in the minds of those who have not yet believed and who are searching for this Jesus. What did Jesus say in John 13th chapter, verse 35? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By the love you have for one another. Now, we pretty well established that Jesus didn't give us an out when it came to our non-Christian friends versus our Christian friends. We're really supposed to treat them all the same. If you need a little bit more reminder about that, remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Who was the neighbor in the Good Samaritan? The the priest? The Levite? No, they walked on the other side of the road of the man who had been beaten. It was the Samaritan, the enemy of the Jews, as we studied this morning in our adult Bible class upstairs. It was the Samaritan who stopped and went above and beyond the call of duty to make sure this gentleman was taken care of. He was the true neighbor in that situation. So how we treat one another and our neighbor is important. But of course we start here in the family of faith, in the household of faith. Here love is key. And let me remind you of the love that we talked about two weeks ago, what this love is. It's not the romantic love. It's not infatuation. It's not the love that we have for a family member. This is agape love. This is selfless love. This is the honorable love that puts the obligation on firemen and women to run into a house and rescue even an Islamic family, even though the firemen themselves are Christians. That's the kind of love we're talking about. The love that offers to give a kidney to save the life of a father she had never met so that his daughter would grow up with a daddy. This actually happened to my my friend, Paul Gray. They had just adopted a little girl from China. And he turned out to have kidney problems. It was terrible. By the way, she's a sophomore in high school now. Daddy's still with her. This is the love that Jesus had for us when he went to the cross and died for our sins. Not because he was attracted to us. Not because... Uh, We had done anything worthy of that just because he loved us. But it's hard for us to understand agape love when our culture has become so upside down and selfish. Love to mankind as a whole, I see in our culture today, is waning. We have less concern for one another than we should. Individualism is arguably the strongest value taught in America today. And by the way, that's by Christians and non-Christians alike. And that's not, I think, a good thing. I may sound a little un-American. I'll own that. Individualism is probably the thing that's going to tear this nation apart. It has a point. But the work that we do together as a community has a more important point. And in these battles that we fight today in politics, that gets lost sometimes, and the speaking points get louder, and, and, we, and we, we overlook that. This individualism is going to just tear us apart, because it seems like we're, we're looking for our own gratification rather than looking for what will help others and ourselves. I think that's why pornography is such a prevalent sickness in our culture today, because it worships self. Your basic human dignity is, is even threatened. There was a 15-year study done uh, where they went to high school students and they gave them this scenario. You're in a situation and you have a choice. You can either, either save a stranger that you don't know, or you can save your family dog. Who are you going to save? Year after year, the majority of those teenagers said that they would save their family dog. You know why they said they do that? Because they love their dog, and they don't know the stranger. Stop and think about that a little bit, please. They love their dog. They don't know the stranger. The authors of this study wrote, "The feeling of love has supplanted God or religious principle as a moral guide for young people." What is right has been redefined in terms of what the individual feels. That is not the love of God. The love of God is looking out for the needs of others before your own. Looking out for them not because they've done anything for you, but because they are created in the image of God, fellow children of God with you. So you see, we need to confront this perversion of God's love in our culture desperately. And we need to realize that we have a problem. Not just they have a problem, we have a problem. Like Isaiah said in his call in Isaiah the 6th chapter, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. We share in this problem with everyone else. We love to say that we love God, but then we turn around and hate our fellow man, and make a mockery of the examples of biblical selfless love we are given. To seek out that which is not in line with the love of God is to put ourselves in enmity with God. We need to confront it within ourselves and within the culture that we live in. This is important because this is the heart of God. What did John write? God is Let me say that again. God is? Okay. That's where it rests. That's where He is. That's His being. One word to describe God. Love. And that's that word agape. That's that noble love. That's that selfless love. That's the love of God that we are to imitate. And if we want to be saved, we need to grow to understand and to imitate His love in our lives. We need to constantly open ourselves up to God's examination so that He can set us free from the desires of the flesh. Maximus the Confessor was a theologian who lived in Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul, in the 7th century. And he wrote this about agape. The Lord says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you. Why did he command these things? So that he might free you from hatred, sadness, anger, and grudges, and might grant you the greatest possession of all, perfect. Love, which is impossible to possess except by the one who loves all equally in imitation of God. Go to the next slide, please. This is how the love of God is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Church, this is our challenge. Not to get saved but to be like Jesus. Baptism isn't the end. It is a means to an end. It is a beginning, a point at which we come and die to ourselves, are buried with Christ. Then we are raised again not to just do what we want, but to live in Christ and to be transformed into His likeness so that when the world looks at us, and they see us bear the name Christian, they will say, wow, lives up to the advertising. They do what they say they're going to do. If we get this right, and I'm going to make a a distinction here between right and perfect. None of us are going to be perfect, amen? Uh, We just aren't going to be perfect. But we can be right, because we can be in line with God's will. And God makes allowances for us when we sin, doesn't he? But we have to strive to be right. We have to try to be right. And if we are trying to be right, if we're living for Him, then we can have confidence on the day that He comes back to judge the living and the dead. But to do that, we need each other. We need to help each other. We need to help each other put love first. Not just in theory, okay? Not just from the pulpit, but in our everyday lives. In the way we treat one another. Especially in the way we treat those that we don't know. Those that are the least. Those that are even our enemy. Because who might that just be? You're here today. And you have come to know the love of God. And you want to know it deeper and and be drawn into that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We're here to help you do that. Because this way of love is not an easy way. But I can tell you this much: it beats hatred, it beats holding grudges, it beats the ways of the world to eternity and back again. <laughs> um, and it is the best way of life. It's a way I know personally. I have been blessed with for a lot of years now, 57 to be exact. I did that nap the other day, and it kind of scared me, but I'll, I'll live. <laughs> Um, you know, But it's been a blessing, these 57 years that I've walked in Christ. We want to encourage you to take that step today, if you're ready. If you're not, you need to talk about that. You need to study that more. Please, come talk with me. I'd love to share with you more about Jesus Christ. And more of the difference that dying to yourself, being buried with Him in baptism and raised again, can make it your life. As you become transformed into His image. Given His Spirit. And made... One who is more than a conqueror in this life because of Jesus Christ. More than a conqueror, and think about what that means. More than a conqueror over hate. More than a conqueror over evil. More than a conqueror over all the things that are going to happen to us. They're going to happen. That doesn't mean that we're going to stand up there and, you know, put all the bad guys into their place and knock them down. No, this isn't a Clint Eastwood movie. Okay? This is where God will help us no matter how difficult it gets. We will be the strong ones, because He is living in us. He will be living in you as well. If you're here today and you need the answer the call, of the gospel, to be baptized into Christ, or for the prayers of the church, the invitation is yours. Won't you come to him now as we stand and as we sing?